Uh, let us hear the word of God. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also is vanity. For of the wise and as the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind, for this is the word of God. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Roland. I'm going to take a swig of this. My mouth is very dry right now. So talk amongst yourselves for a quick second. You didn't want to talk to each other? All right, core value is community. So welcome, welcome to the shore. Well, this book, let me begin. This book does not let up, does it? Like reading that text, really important to grab your phones or your Bibles and just open it to Ecclesiastes chapter two this morning because this, this, this book is, is one that's been such an encouragement to me as we look through the lens of the cross through this text. So hang in there. Hang in there. This is, a, is a, another pokey uh, passage, uh, but there is rest, there is comfort, and there is hope, just not in the places we are so habitually drawn towards. So let's, uh, let, me, let, me, let me open in prayer again. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it, uh, we, it is uh, for our uh, benefit, for our teaching, for our reproof, um, and uh, Lord, that you will disciple us through this text uh, pointing us to you, Jesus, in all things. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, in the op opening uh, sermon in this uh, series, I shared a summary of sorts to, the, to this book. And I, I want to just recap that. There are three points. The first one is Ecclesiastes is, a, is wisdom literature, which tells us of the complexities of life and how we might live. So complexities of life and how we might live. Secondly, I said the big idea for this whole book is that all is vanity under the sun. So not looking into the heavenlies, but under the sun, all is vanity. So that's the big idea for this book. And thirdly, I said, as we read and study on our own, which we are called to, we, we are called to seek out Christ in his word of God. And, and so as we seek out and study on our own, the Bible is a complex literary work that will continually reveal to you truths the more you understand the story, the whole timeline of God being told, and it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the center of the story. So with that in mind, let me give you a quick overview of our text this morning. Uh, remember the preacher, Coeleth, uh, the preacher king, gathers his people just like this, gathers his people and proclaims his wisdom. And so today we're going to go through our text and we're going to have four points, like I kind of did about two weeks ago, is we're going to hit search, and you can look it in your text, search, conclusion, a little bit of a proverb, and then a personal response. Okay, search, conclusion, proverb, personal response. So let's look at the search first in verse 12. You can take your eyes there. 
uh, as we don't have our screens working today. So it says, so I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Well, a few things to define first as we get started, but it looks as if Coelheth, the preacher king, is considering three things, and things, things that we kind of seemingly have talked about already, right? Like in chapter one, like when I closed a couple, two weeks ago, chapter one, we talked about wisdom, like, but that wisdom was talking about cognitive, cognitive wisdom. So if you go and deep dive into that wisdom word, it's, it's a cognitive wisdom, it's knowledge, it's, it's seeking out the things, it's reading a lot of books and studies and, and going after this. Here... Wisdom, when you do a deep dive in this wisdom, it's talking about abilities and skill. Wisdom in your abilities and skill. And we have texts like Exodus 31 that help us out in this, that even abilities and skill, thinking sometimes we can pat ourselves on the back, but actually they're God-given. They are God-given. We see this uh, with God talking to Moses and, and to set up his tent, the tent of meeting. And it reads this in uh, Exodus 31, three through six. It says, I have filled with him, I, God, have filled with him the spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft, to work in every craft. I've given people abilities to do these things. And verse six, it says, I have been give, or have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. And so the things that they commanded in that text is the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the finely, finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons to create the priesthood. So these, if you have crafts, abilities, skills in making garments, this is a God gift to you. You have abilities, and, and t- we tend to run to these, right? Like God gifts us with abilities and skills. Not every one of us can make something. But we've had people in this congregation, people that we love and care for deeply, that can take a block of wood and make a beautiful bowl. We can t- they can take pieces of wood and make a beautiful rocking chair. I've, sit, I've sat, I can't do that word. I've sat in that rocking chair, it's beautiful. Right, you know who I'm talking about. This man is given gifts and abilities to use. He's given wisdom for abilities and skills. And, and for some reason we are drawn towards these things. God has gifted you it was special gifts and wisdom. But the preacher king also considered madness. And so we understand madness. We, we hear that word, madness, and we come, maybe come to some thoughts and different things of what that word might mean. But here it means stupidity. Stupidity. To be of simple mind, the fool. And remember who we're talking about, the preacher king, Solomon, being blessed with supernatural wisdom, was confronted with, I'm sure, all kinds of stupidity as I'm sure you are as well in your workplace or even here in the church or, or at home or whatever. There's, there's actions that are stupid, right, that we all do. We all fall into this at times. And we just, the, pro, the thing is with our, our culture, our day and age, instead of Solomon's, we have phones with video cameras now. 
right? And picture, and we can document these stupid things and we can upload them on YouTube and, and create fail videos and all kinds of different things that the people do with stupidity, all right? It's madness. And you can even develop TV shows that have these things. And so this is what is going on here. Solomon is taking madness, stupidity, and taking a look at this thing. And so Solomon, being David's son, most likely heard all kinds of stories from his father. Remember his father is King David, right? And one I'm sure he heard was the story of Nabal. Like I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story of Nabal. I'll give you a quick snapshot of it. You can take a look at it. Uh, it's in 1 Samuel verse 20, or chapter 25. You can take a look at it on your own. But give you a Coles Notes version. You have Nabal, a, uh, a really rich man, rules a ton of land and livestock. He's got a ton of things, but he's using, he, he is living in literal madness. He's, he's stupid. Nabal actually uh, is translated as fool. So if you're a young parent here, don't ever name your kid Nabal. All right? It means fool. Uh, so he, and take a look at this. This is an interesting uh, metaphor that you can play out and run through one, maybe one time in, in the history of the shore. Maybe we'll do this. But you have Nabal, fool, married to a wise woman, Abigail. So you've got a contrast here. What is going on here? You've got contrast of, of flesh and spirit. You've got contrast of foolishness and wisdom. You've got contrast all over the scripture. And what is it pointing to? It's pointing to something so we can't ignore this. And so Nabal here, or Solomon, most likely hearing the story of Nabal. And, and anyway, so David is roaming through his land and, and, and spends a couple weeks in this land and doesn't touch a thing. He's king. He could literally take whatever he wanted. He is king over the, all the land. And so instead, he, he abides by the land and, and cares for the flocks and all that stuff and the shepherds that are caring for the, for the sheep and the, the flocks that Nabal owns. But he sends a few of his men over to Nabal and he goes, hey, do you mind feeding my people, my, my men? They're hungry from all the, the journeys they've been on and the, and the wars that they've been partaking in, making a freedom for you. And Nabal goes, no. In his stupidity, he is prideful and foolish. And so David's men go back and report to David and David is choked, he's ticked. He goes, okay, men strap on the sword on your side, and we're going to go take care of Nabal. And so they head on the way. The wise wife, Abigail, hears about this, and she runs out with gifts and, and, and all kinds of goods for David and his men, prepared already. And she meets him, and she calms down the situation to the point where David now goes, you know what? Maybe I was a little harsh, I'm going to let God do the judgment and I'm going to step aside. Well, the thing is, 10 days later, God does judge Nabal. In his drunken stupor, Abigail shares with him what was about to happen and he is filled with fear and he drops dead. He's the fool. And Solomon, very familiar with this story, back in our text here, is now considering madness. He's got all kinds of these stories in his head. And I'm sure he's thinking about this one as well. So Solomon begins to be watchful of men and women like Nabal, how they take the abilities and gifts God gives them and use them foolishly. Use them foolishly. The preacher king also considered folly. So you've got abilities and skill, wisdom. You've got madness, stupidity. And the third word there is uh, folly, that's 
simply means laziness. The complete opposite of abilities and skill, I'm just going to be now lazy. I know I have abilities and skill, but I'm going to sit on them. I'm going to do nothing. So this is what Solomon is searching out. And then he says, for what can the man do who comes after the king? And again, we need to remember Solomon. He's coming after the greatest king, David, the greatest warrior. He has inherited a freed land, a freed people. This is what he's walked into. And so Solomon inherited everything. He inherited peace, even a freed people. And so for, and then he says this, for what can the man do who comes after the king? What can I do with all of this stuff that I've inherited? My father has done all these things. And this ties us back into what Jordan preached last week. So what do you do? You start building things. Like you create forests and pools to water the forests. And he lives in this trying to gather a name for himself with all of the things, the abilities and skills practicing these things. But he's also, remember, he's also looking at madness, stupidity. And what does he also do in that text that Jordan uh, preached so well last week? He, he starts going, oh my goodness, let's marry a bunch of wives and bring all of their gods into the temple of God. And he becomes lazy. And he starts seeing these things, both, all three, abilities and skills, uh, stupidity and now laziness, he lives out to the T. See, Solomon is living Nabal's life. He's repeating history. He's doing exactly what his father told him not to do. And if we go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, where I, I shared a, a couple weeks ago of the prayer that Solomon prayed to God, God, I don't know how to lead your people. Please bless me with wisdom. And God supernaturally blesses Solomon and gives him everything. And then he closes that blessing with, follow my commandments and I'll even extend your life. And here we've got Solomon lazy, forgetting the abilities and skills, looking under the sun and just living in this stupidity, folly, madness kind of life. So instead of extending his life, God may very well take it. Friends, I have to, I have to stop here for a second. We have some, the same calling on us, the exact same. We're also Solomon. We're also these individuals in the stories of Scripture. We've been called to abide in Jesus in all that we do. John 15 says this. The question we need to ask ourselves is, have we used these gifts or have we become foolish and lazy? So we have been given abilities and skills to build up the church. Abilities and skills to build up the church. Supernatural gifts to build up the church. And are we setting them aside? See, this is his church. We are called to steward it as his bride, undergirding the work that he is doing, that God is doing, for his glory and for his kingdom's sake, to passionately pray for one another, to show hospitality, to care for one another, to seek to be involved, to serve, to be known, and to know others out of humility, not for selfish gain, not for selfish gain, but for the glory of God. 
See, as members of the shore, we are calling you to fulfill the work God has given you. See, please don't receive this wrong. Please don't. Like, hear me really clearly. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. But we are called to serve Christ. And I don't, as a shepherd of this church, I don't want to serve a consumer church. I want to serve and poke and prod a serving church. Don't you want to be a serving church? And it's starting to turn, isn't it? Like we have a cafe that looks like 7-Eleven right now. Like it's amazing, right? And, and it's like, I think Evie's had like 18 cookies already and three pieces of licorice. Like this is amazing. I don't know what that ride home is gonna be like, but, it's, but this is the, the beginning of the serving. We have people passionately praying. We have the prayer ministry now and, and going, oh my goodness, what can we do? Well, let's pray every Wednesday and fast and pray as a church body for the sake of what God's kingdom will do come in the fall. And so don't, let, don't, let, don't be left behind like a Nabal. Let's get excited about what God is using and how God can use you, the gifts and the skills that he's given you, the supernatural gifts that God has given you to serve his church. Not Jer, don't think about serving me. I'm, I'm with you. I wanna, I'm praying the same prayer. God, how can I serve you better? How can I use all the gifts that you've given me to proclaim your goodness and your amazing uh, grace and your mercy upon e- e- all of us? This, this actually just excites me for a church body to be all in. So I hope you aren't looking for a church to consume, but rather to serve. And this is why we have community groups, care ministry, hospitality, prayer, worship, kids, youth, and mission. These are eight passion ministries that you have an opportunity to jump into. So hear me, there are seasons. There are seasons that we do need to rest. We just prayed for Dale and Deanna. There are seasons we need to rest. But like we prayed for Dale and Deanna, that rest will be active. Actively seeking Christ. Actively seeking him. So there's always a space for everybody here to sit. There's always a space for a community group, in your community group, to just sit and be. There's always a space for those spots in the shore church. But may they be active. May they be actively seeking Christ in those times of rest. This is our task as Christians, that no one would be found in need. No one. That we seek one another out and love one another. Not to merely look under the sun, but look to the sun and for his glory's sake. So let's move on. So that's the search. The search was the wisdom, abilities, and skill. And now we're going to hit into the conclusion. Verse 13 and 15 and 16 are the conclusion. It's a little bit of a longer conclusion. It says there in verse 13, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. So Solomon concludes something that we probably all would conclude. If you live out your abilities and skills, instead of just living in the darkness, it's going to be better for you. Thanks, Solomon. Really appreciate that did not take the wisest man in the world to probably figure that one out. We could all probably figure that one out just looking around. So look at verse 15. It says, Then I said in my heart, then I said in my inner man, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. 
What just took place is the preacher king got personal. He got intimate. He just admitted something in his heart. He admits he leans towards wisdom but found something because his next line is this, why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, my inner man, that this also is vanity, it's meaningless. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. I'm gonna come back to that little phrase there. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. See, Solomon's conclusion, it has an assumption in it, and we need to see it. In verse 16 again, look at it in your, in your Bibles. It says this, For of the wises of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. There is no enduring remembrance. See, the assumption is that you will remember what you have accomplished. That's the assumption. That we live our lives in assumption that we will remember the things that we've accomplished. And Solomon is blowing that up here. Because we don't contemplate that often, do we? Like, especially when you're in it, when you're in that, that mode of like, this is the most important thing to me ever, and I'm spending all this time, and I'm pouring my life into this thing, then years later, you actually forget it? It's vanity. See, Solomon is saying this in English, that no enduring remembrance this in English looks a bit different from the original, but what this is saying is that you, the wise person, just like the fool, will lose your mind to the point you won't even remember your life and accomplishments. Solomon is talking about your life before death. So you remember a couple weeks ago I said there's 20 year, there's four segments of 20 years, right? 20, 40, 60, 80 dead, right? Get your crap together, last stage. And then I said if you add three more stages to that, 20, 40, 60 years, no one in this planet is going to remember who you are. Welcome to the shore, right? This is what Solomon is saying in those first four segments. He's saying you will lose your mind. You will not remember the things that you've accomplished, even in those four segments. He's taking it one step further, and we've got evidences of this, right? Like I just turned 50 this, year, this week, pretty crazy, and I, I'm already in this boat forgetting things constantly. Uh, my wife and my kids remind me of my forgetfulness. And then I forget that, so they remind me again. Right? This is how it works. Uh, and I come from a long line of forgetters, right? Like my parents, such a funny story. So my parents go to the movie theater. They like, love watching movies. You guys remember Patriot Games? Little Harrison Ford action. And so they go watch this, this movie, and they love it, right? They, love, they watch this movie, they love it, come home. A week and a half later, they go, let's go see another movie. They see the poster of this movie on, this, on the wall, and they go, let's go see this one. <laughs> they sit in the theater for 10 to 15 minutes. And then they go and look at each other, eating popcorn. This is the same movie we watched a week and a half ago. <laughs> like, this is what I've got to look forward to, right? This is, this is my life, this is my future. I can't wait, right? Get to watch all the movies like multiple times, it's gonna be great. See, the wise and the fool, this is how you both will die. Such an encouraging book. So you have the search and the conclusion. Let's look at the proverb in verse 14. It says, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. 
Just doubling down on the death again. See, the wise person in this proverb, proverb refers to the good and simple person, and the fool refers to the empty-headed, the oppressor, the deceiver, the mocker, and the glutton. Just using every, everybody for their gain. That's the fool. See, the proverb refer, re- reinforces Solomon's conclusion, it's better to live in wisdom than in folly. But we then, like Solomon, have to ask, is it worth it if the same result awaits both of them? Like to the point you can't even tell them apart. You can't tell them apart after death. Like think of it. Like there's, a, there's actually Alexander the Great had a, had a philosopher by the name of Diogenes. And uh, he's looking out and he sees Diogenes filing through a bunch of bones in the graveyard or whatever. And he, and he sees this happen. So Alexander goes out to him and goes, Diogenes, what are you doing? And Diogenes responds to him, I'm looking for your father's bones your father Philip's bones, but I can't tell from your father's from the slaves. I can't tell from the king from the slaves. See, death has no favorites. Death has no favorites. It affects all of us. The wise may see, but the result is the same. So what is the preacher king telling us? Well, let's look at his personal response in verse 17. It says, so... I hated life. I hated it. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. It grieved me. Lost sleep over it. It was broken. This life sucks. For all is vanity and a striving after wind. See, Solomon isn't the only philosopher who comes to this heartfelt response. Jean-Paul Sartre, I think I said that right, philosopher in the mid-1900s. Duane will correct me later. Life has, it says, life has no meaning the moment you lose the illusion of being eternal. If you don't believe in life after death, then you lose meaning altogether. If you're one in this world that doesn't believe that there's something after Why in the world are you still living? My version of that quote. What's the point? Or C.S. Lewis, before coming to faith, said in poetic form, come, let us curse our master ere we die. For all our hopes in endless ruin lie. The good is dead. Let us curse God most high. See, when you look out at life under the sun, the conclusion is going to be the same. We're going to come to the same conclusion that Solomon did, and everything under the sun is meaningless. It's vanity. That's why people are endlessly looking for gratification and remain lost when they cannot find it, and they're just in this hamster wheel of a search. So the search of flee, the endless search of feeling different. The endless search of feeling different. But here's the good news. We have a different preacher king. Amen? We have a preacher king that came, lived, died, rose again for our sake so that we didn't have to live just under the sun. And he gathered his people. The preacher king gathered his people. And he proclaimed his wisdom and he pro- prophesied and, and made clear and, and made the, the deaf hear and the lame walk and the, the blind see. He said, this is a new kingdom coming. 
where there is something new. There is something glorious. There is healing. There is redemption. There is reconciliation to the Father. This preacher king came with words like in Colossians 3. You can turn to it if you can in your Bibles. But Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, it says this. Jesus, through the servant Paul, says, If then you have been raised with Christ. Completely different option here than Solomon proclaimed. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. There's your, your imperative, your to-do list for this week. Seek the things that are above. As your shepherd poking you right now, seek the things that are above. It's far greater. It says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I prayed that prayer for Dale and Deanne, like our, our king is sitting. And I prayed it maybe at 9.10 when we were praying earlier, but our king is sitting. What is that What is that? resonate with you. Like when the king is sitting, it means the war is done. There's only one time, do you know, one time in, in uh, scripture, I believe, maybe there's more. I can't, I, I need to search this out. This is just coming off the top of my head right now. There is one time where you see Jesus standing in the heavenlies. It's when Stephen is being martyred and he's standing to go, I've got you. You will be with me in paradise one day. Most often, every other time we see Jesus, he's sitting on the throne because it's paid for. It's done. So if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, again, he doubles down on it, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Let's not walk in folly this week. Let's not walk in the madness and the stupidity and the laziness. Let's use the wisdom for, and use the abilities that God has gifted us with to serve his church his, for his glory, for his sake. It says, for you have died, your flesh has died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What an amazing call. What an amazing promise. What amazing hope. See, life under the sun is vanity. It's vanity. Life with the sun is glorious. It's glorious. J. Campbell White, a secretary of the Layman's Missionary Movement, said this in 1909. Such an incredible first line here in this quote. It says, most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Men, take a listen to that one. And women, too. Most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. I have the privilege of having a lot of really good men in my life. Uh, I was sitting with my father-in-law, and I sit with, you've heard my, me talk about Jack, my friend, he's now 87, his birthday was this week as well. But his, like both of them, Col- my Coles Notes version of what they say, uh, in your 70s or 80s, if you have someone that says, I wouldn't make any other decision in my life, I've done all things great, they're a bull-faced liar. Both of those two men. So when a 70 and an 80 year old say something like this to you and words like, I wish I would have, you need to listen. And our time is now. Our time is now to change. And it's never too late, even when you're 87. 
See, most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. He continues and he says, nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers. Listening? Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world he came to redeem. Such a great quote. Fame, pleasure, riches are but husks and ashes in contrast to the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. Church, are we ready? Are we ready to jump in, all in? Jesus is coming back soon. Do you want to be known as one that set your, your gifts aside or one that is all in? looking towards things of heaven, not things of this world anymore. John Piper wrote, the aim is that our words, our actions, our thoughts, our responses would be the overflow of joy in Christ. The overflow. Remembering that Jesus has paid the penalty. It's done, right? You are saved for eternally, eternal life. You're saved. The sin that you've committed is gone. It's wiped clean. So out of the joy now of your hearts, let's go, right? Let's live a little bit crazy. Let's live for Jesus as if he actually saved you. This is what we do. So we aim that our words, our actions, our thoughts, our responses would be the overflow of joy in Christ. So whatever it is, our finances, our abilities, our skills, whatever God has gifted you with, let's give it to the Lord. Let's go. All for his glory. But we have a choice, don't we? Today, this week, this year. Which are you going to choose? Which are you going to choose? See, I started this message by saying, hold on, friends. There is rest, comfort, and hope. It is only found in Jesus. It's only found in him. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. May we wholeheartedly, may we wholeheartedly believe in the good news of the gospel. That you have come to save the sinners. That you've come to save each one because each one of us are sinners. And that if we confess you with, as, with our mouth and believe in our hearts that you, Jesus, have been risen from the grave that we will be saved, that we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These two promises alone are just incredibly amazing. So help us now live out of the joy in Christ. May our hearts seek the things of heaven, not the things of this earth any longer. So when things and temptations come our way, Lord, help us just set them aside and proclaim uh, victory over these things this week. And may you be glorified. And may we encourage one another. May we call one another. Invite one another over. Care for one another. Show hospitality and love one, one another as if we believe the true scriptures that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. So I pray for this now, Jesus. May you change us.